Good morning, friends. Today I'm going to draw to close a little short series on the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's Habakkuk chapter 3, and I'm going to title this, It's Bad and Yet. Well, I saw this meme on Facebook a week or so ago. It said, there is a time when judgment comes. Now, we have many other phrases for this, like when the chickens come home to roost or when skeletons come out of the closet or when it's time to pay the piper. In other words, sooner or later, we all face the consequences of the choices we have made. This is true for nations. It's true for individuals. <clears throat> you cannot mock God forever. You can't ignore him or pretend he's not there. You can't do as you please without inviting judgment from on high. Put another way, we need God to do something before it's too late. <clears throat> that sounds a lot like Habakkuk. God had told him clearly, judgment is coming. Now at last, he understands the message. When we come to Habakkuk chapter 3, we turn a corner in our study. The whole tone of the book changes. We move from confusion to clarity and from fear to faith. Here is the key observation on which the whole book turns. Nothing has changed on the outside. Habakkuk has changed on the inside. We find a lot of bad news in Habakkuk 1 and 2. But Habakkuk 3 is full of good news. Indeed, the book ends on a note of hope and praise. Now, how did the prophet move from worry and fear to confidence, joy, and praise? How did he get there when nothing around him changed? The people are still mocking God, violence still fills the streets, and the Babylonians are still coming to destroy Jerusalem. Outwardly, everything is just as messed up as it was in the beginning. And yet, Habakkuk, the man, has changed on the inside. How did that happen? Well, chapter 3 gives us the answer, and the outline is very simple. It contains three things. A prayer, a vision, a testimony. Well, let's take them one at a time and see what we can learn from the prophet's spiritual journey. First of all, the prayer. In verses 1 and 2, he prays, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, in the face of impending calamity, the prophet prays for a full manifestation of God's power and for mercy amid judgment. It's as if he's saying, Lord, I know bad times are coming, and I, and I accept that. I'm not fighting against your plan, but, oh, Lord, if hard times must come, don't let the Babylonians wipe us out. Remember mercy, or we will, we will perish. And, you know, friends, that's a perfectly biblical prayer. It's honest, it's desperate, and it's the kind of prayer that God will answer. And notice that he asked God to do again in his day what he has done in the past. Twice he says, do it now, Lord, in our day, in our time. This ought to be the prayer of every thoughtful Christian at any critical moment of history. Now, second, there's vision. After his prayer, Habakkuk has a vision of God. Now, theologians call this a theophany, and that's a fancy term for an appearance of God on the earth. In this case, God revealed himself to Habakkuk in something like a dream or a vision. The prophet recorded his experience in verses 3 through 15. And these verses are highly poetic, which is what you would expect when a man has a vision of God. But the point is very clear. Knowing that his nation faces imminent judgment, Habakkuk prays, Lord, do something. Well, the vision is God's answer. It's as if God says, Habakkuk, you've forgotten who I am. You're talking as if I can't hear you, as if I don't have any power. Let me show you who I am, because if you understand who I am, you'll be able to sleep at night. 
So in these verses, Habakkuk recounts God's activity in the past. He especially focuses on the Exodus, the time in the wilderness, and the crossing of the Jordan. That was the period in which God repeatedly worked spectacular miracles. And by recounting all of this, God is saying, Have you forgotten what I did for you in the past? In other words, if he did it before, he can do it again. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we secretly wonder if God can do it again in the 21st century. And here's the answer. He's God. He can intervene anytime he wants. And we get a flavor of this theophany in verses 13 to 15, which focus on the defeat of Pharaoh at the Red Sea. It reads as follows. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretch who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Go back and look at the verbs in that group of verses. You came out, you crushed, you stripped, you pierced, you trampled. Friends, this is what God did. He gets all the credit. And we can see two things very clearly here. One, the utter defeat of those who oppose God. And two, the divine determination to do whatever it takes to deliver God's people. Now, why is this here? Well, I think it's because many people have not found a God big enough for modern problems. See, if you had a bigger God, you wouldn't worry as much. If you had a bigger God, you wouldn't be, you would be stronger in the moment of crisis. If you had a bigger God, you would be less tempted to compromise. Let's move on to the third point here, and that's testimony. We come to the end of the book. First, there is acceptance. In verse 16, Habakkuk says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come. Um, on that day to come. And as it turns out, Habakkuk most likely didn't live long enough because Babylon did not fall for almost 70 years. Doesn't matter. Habakkuk's words mean message received. And second, there's a commitment. Verses 17 and 18 show us what faith looks like when life tumbles in around us. It says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the feeds produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The word rejoice literally means to jump for joy. We might even say it means to dance for joy. But how is this possible? I mean, Habakkuk has described a total economic meltdown. I mean, ancient Israel was an agricultural society. If you ran out of figs and olives and grapes and grain and sheep and cattle, you're in big trouble. This isn't just a random bliss. This is a portfolio. So what do you do when you're wiped out? What if your investments disappear? Well, the stock market has hit some all-time highs recently. But let me pose the question this way. What would you do if tomorrow the stock market had imploded? What if it totally tanked and went all the way to zero? What would you do then? Well, your investments would be gone. Your pension probably destroyed. Your 401k wiped out. What then? I mean, how do you face that? How do you, what if you lose your job? Or what if the safety net fails? Or what if you run out of food? Or what if you can't pay your bills? Or what if your kids end up in jail? Or what if your loved ones never come to know Jesus? What if the doctor says it's terminal? What if your spouse has a heart attack and you're left alone? What if America falls to a foreign power? What if you lose your job because you're Christian? What if you end up in jail for your faith? What then? Could you still say, yes, Lord? 
I mean, too many Christians, too many Christ followers have a God of the good times. They serve him and love him and praise him when all is going well. But what will you do when hard times come? If all you have is a God of the good times, you don't have the God of the Bible. I mean, sometimes the fig trees do not bud. Sometimes there are no grapes on the vine. Sometimes the olive crop fails. Sometimes the fields produce no food. Sometimes there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stall. So what do you do then? Well, you can get angry with God, or you can give up on God altogether. Or you can choose to believe in God anyway. You see, friends, we often mistake faith and our feelings. Now, faith isn't about my feelings, much less about my circumstances. Faith chooses to believe when it would be easier to stop believing. Habakkuk said, I will wait patiently. I will rejoice. He found new strength amid desolation. The last verse of Habakkuk is often overlooked. It's verse 19. It says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The phrase, my feet, speaks of our journey through life. If you've ever seen deer or elk scampering on the hills or mountains, you'll note that they are sure-footed where the rest of us would slip and slide and eventually fall. If you know the Lord, he will give you stability in the slippery moments of life. He will give you grace to stand when otherwise you would fall apart. It reminds me of Ephesians 6.13, which says that when we put on the armor of God and having done all, we will stand safe and secure when the battle is over. That's where the book ends and that's where we will end our journey. But let me repeat once again the single most important observation from Habakkuk. As the book ends, nothing has changed on the outside. The people of Judah have still forgotten God. Violence still reigns in Jerusalem. The wicked still oppress the righteous. And the Babylonians are still God's appointed instrument of judgment. Hard times are coming and there is nothing anyone can do about it. Nothing has changed. Except this. Habakkuk has changed on the inside. Friends, we all come from different situations. Some are happy, some are sad, some healthy, some sick. Some are excited about the future. Some face dark clouds of uncertainty. But if we know the Lord, if God is our Savior, we can still have feet to tread on the heights in the worst moments of life. We can stand well when others fall around us. I told you in the very first message that Habakkuk is strong faith for confusing times. Everyone hearing my words this morning is one of three places. You're either coming out of confusing times, you're in confusing times, or you're about to go into confusing times and you just don't know it yet. So maybe take this series and put it in your back pocket. If you don't need it today, you might need it tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. I leave you with one final thought. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when Jesus is all you have, friends, then and only then will you discover that Jesus is all you need. That's the real message of the little book of Habakkuk. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.